Hey everyone, so we are in week 12 of our doctrine series, kind of what Christians should believe, and we're looking at key doctrine in the scriptures, and this week we focused on sin. And so real quickly, I just want to introduce us. My name is John. I'm one of the experienced pastors here at Calvary Fellowship, which is where we're hosting this podcast. We actually have a new guy this week. Nate, Nate, do you want to like to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Nate Reeser. I am the Recreation Coordinator for Calvary. I'm just thankful to be here. Yeah, I love that you're here. And then we also have Adam. Adam? Yeah, what's up, guys? How's it going? So we're going to kind of get after it here. So guys, first off, uh, what stood out to you about this past Sunday's message on sin? Um, I have not studied much for this podcast because I've, I did the message, so I'll leave it to you guys to let me know what you guys uh, remembered or what stood out to you. No, we want to hear all of your thoughts again. <laughs> <laughs> we want to hear the message again. Um, I was just uh, really focusing on, or not focusing on, but just thinking about the generational aspect to sin, the relational aspect to sin, and how it's not just affecting one person, how it is um, affecting, you know, the generations to come. Like, can think of a lot of examples of a great-great-grandfather or great-grandfather, um, you know, committing adultery or having a drinking problem and that's still passing all the way down to people that I know now um, and just the weight of that and seeing how it's carried down through the generations of um, it affecting you know the different fathers or uh, you know the different mothers yeah it's pretty crazy mm-hmm. yeah it's a big one mm-hmm. hey what's that to you um, you know very much what uh, Adam's echoing there and really the relational um, aspect that you added to it, that um, it wasn't pointing fingers into the audience about sin, this, this is bad, and you shouldn't be. It was more the relationship we have with God and identifying that fracture and seeing it through the lens of sin and then understanding, like, anything that we're putting out there that's not, you know, for God or filling uh, or pursuing God is probably something we're pursuing sin and how you made that a very personal relationship between us and God and then how sin breaks that relationship. It, it was an eye-opener for me to really look inwardly as opposed to outwardly towards others. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I think when I was prepping for this message, one of the things that the Lord spoke to me about in the preparation was just, um, do I really believe that sin is the root cause of the problems of the world, right? I get so caught up in looking at other things that the created world points to and says this is the problem, and i got to forget often the narrative of the world to mm. say, no, no, sin is the problem. Because if not, then I'll become very people-minded. Like, mm. people are the problem. People are the problem. This person's the problem. And so that was something that the Lord really taught me is, no, the answer to what's wrong with the world, the answer to why we see violence and war and famine and greed and is sin. Yeah. And how God, when he created the world... I was at this um, conference a couple months back, and that guy was uh, speaking about God's story. And he kind of ignited in me that... Um, recalling the fact that the story does begin with relationship. Mm. Like he was talking about how often we talk about sin, and that's kind of how I was wanting to articulate that was, you know, so often we start with God's story with the sin part, but actually it starts with the relationship part. And for us to ever understand why sin is such a big deal, Mm. we have to understand what we were created for. And we weren't created for sin. We were created for relationship. Mm -hmm. Uh, And just like we talked a couple weeks ago, hell wasn't created for us, right? We were created to be in relationship, right relationship with God but sin separates us. And so, guys, let's live there a little bit. What's your thoughts on the idea of God's story and how we are, in fact, created to be in relationship with God? Are we doing a good enough job as a church um, sharing that story, or do we start with the sin? 
Yeah, I think a lot about how um, how we're living a lot of the times when, when we are living in sin, we're not living to who God created us to be. Um, we're, we're, you know, separated from that like you were talking about and just not able to live out the character that God has created us to be, you know, not able to um, thrive with the gifts that he's given us or um, work how he wants us to, to love other people how he wants us to. We're not able to, you know, fully pour out um, the character and the personality that God has given us. Right. What would you say with this term? We weren't created to sin, Mm -hmm. but we have a sinful nature. What do you guys think is the difference between what I just said? Does that make sense? We're not created to sin, but we have a sinful nature. What do you guys think? Does that make sense? Because that's kind of what we're talking through, right? Are we created to sin or we were created for a relationship with God, but we have a sinful nature? Right. And we have inherited sin and personal sin. We talked about there's kind of two forms of sin. There's sin that we yeah. we do personally. We choose to sin. And then there's the consequences of Adam's sin upon our lives. We, we die, right? There's brokenness. We uh, we eat flesh, right? Like these things that are, are not what the world was created to be, but are a result of the fall. So I would say, do you agree with that? That we're not created to sin, but we have a sinful nature. And that's a little bit tricky, but mm-hmm. true, right? Yeah. In that our eternal reality is that we won't sin after, right? And so we were created for eternity. We're eternal beings. And majority of our existence, we won't sin. <laughs> if you ever think about that, that's an interesting thing, right? Yeah. But thoughts on that? A little bit weird terms, but... Yeah, I mean, if you look at... Out. You kind of have to look at pre-fall to right. grasp that, because that was the only time that there wasn't sin on Earth. Yeah. Um and yeah, Adam and Eve were walking around, you know, working in the garden, having relation, like having a full relationship with the Lord, without any sin. And you know, that like that's how God created them to be. He didn't create them to go and turn against Him, and you know, deceit Him. And yeah, it's interesting if you think like how uh, your asset we were created to glorify Him and to praise Him. And yet the sinful nature, we then have through that, I think, turned it into we glorify and praise ourselves yeah. as opposed to so that that understanding that that's kind of what we were wired for is still in us. But then we then focus that on the wrong right. like person, obviously ourselves as opposed to God. But that desire to want to do that almost still lives inside of us. Yeah, I think that desire to worship is so evident, right, in everything that we see. You know, so we, we worship celebrities and we worship yeah. sports teams right but we we are worship creatures we just do yeah. um and yeah most of us worship ourselves in in actuality but we never would claim that but let me ask you this question then because i think if we come at it from a um a doubting perspective right somebody who's struggling to doubt the existence of god because they see the effects of the sin in the world why did god create us with the ability to sin right because that's true we were created to be in relationship with him, but certainly he has created, Adam and Eve were created with the potential to sin, right? He, they were given free will. They were given the desires to be able to choose to sin. Why did God not just create us to not sin? Why did he give us that choice, you think? Yeah, I mean, if you, it, it's all back to that free will aspect. If God had created us without free will, then we would be 
robots following after him. You know, <laughs> we wouldn't be able to make our own decisions. And he doesn't want us to have a robotic love for uh, for him. He wants us to have a true, genuine heart change and um, be willfully making our decisions and aligning our desires with you know what he wants and uh, his love for us. So, yeah, yeah it, it's a. Uh it's a, it's a beautiful relationship and it's, it reminds me of just kind of like a working relationship where you have a boss and your employees and you can kind of demand respect or you and or you can earn their respect and it's showing them through their blessings and grace you know as a, a leader and you know it's on the person to respond uh, the employee and it's i see it very similar with how god is with us he blesses us with infinite amount of um resources and everything and, and love constantly even in our you know, trespasses, you know, that he still sent Jesus, you know, the ultimate blessing. And here it's on us to respond for that. And he cares so much about our hearts. That's what he wants to see, you know, turn to knowing that that's what's flawed and broken. Let's see if we can get that. Fit. And it, I just love his constant pursuit for our hearts. And mm-hmm. yeah. so yeah. what would you say is the difference between our relationship with God and Adam and Eve's relationship with God? Because again, if sin fractures relationship, and it's all about relationship, and I believe it is, mm-hmm. right? It's all about God created us to be in relationship. Sin separated us from God. Jesus restored a way back to that relationship, and ultimately God's going to reconcile all things, right? Like he is going to restore that which was created. So mm-hmm. that's the story we're all in. Why then do we have access to God in a way that's different than Adam and Eve? Does that make sense? What, what, mm-hmm. How are we different in our relationship than pre- and post fall Adam and Eve just kind of thinking through that I kind of think about the um the relationship with the angels that you know that God has with the angels not that Adam and Eve were angels but the Bible talks about how the the angels the angels are jealous for our relationship with the Lord and just the (laughs) the way that we can experience his love for us with Jesus coming and dying for us Jesus didn't die for the angels. Um, so there wasn't like a an example like that for them right. of Jesus' love for, for Adam and Eve, although they were a- able to experience his full presence. So so was that they like heaven? Intimacy. They had was, intimacy. Right, was sure. that, was pre-fall like heaven or was I it still? I think that's probably the closest example of what heaven will be like. Yeah. Minus, and I I, won't, I don't want to answer my own question here, <laughs> but I guess I will. But the the idea of Adam and Eve, when when exposed to temptation, chose temptation. Mm-hmm. We, born in temptation and desire to tempt, chose Jesus. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so they knew of God and they chose temptation. We knew of temptation and we chose the Lord. And that's a to me that there's a gift there of. We chose that relationship, right? They chose to have that relationship and go off. But I would argue for them to desire to go against Scott's standard, I don't think it was a lifelong thing they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. It was they didn't understand the the weight of sin until they went through it, and then they understood. Because many people don't really all contemplate how Adam and Eve responded. But How did they respond when sin entered in the world? Right? They went with shame, and they were self-aware, and they hid from the Lord. And so they didn't understand the reality of what sin was until they sinned. Where we, 
I would argue, don't really understand f- the full reality of what it's like to be in full relationship with the Lord. But we see sin and we see the world and we see all that it can give us. And we choose to say, no, God is my treasure. God is where I want to pursue. And that's kind of where I talked about repentance is turning from the world, mm-hmm. which is where Adam and Eve turned <laughs> and turning back to God and going back to that right relationship with everything in your life, right? Yeah. With your decisions and your actions and your time and your energy and your resources. That's what really repentance is. It's not my will, but yours be done. It's turning away everything. It's completely transforming the path of your life from choosing sin or flesh or worshiping self to, God, I want to I want to get as close as possible to the knowledge of you and the intimacy of you that you have given us. So that's why I like the series is so awesome because hopefully the Doctrine series doesn't just increase your knowledge of God, it increases your intimacy with Him. Because mm-hmm. the more you know of Him, hopefully the more you'll grow in love and affection for Him, right? That's the goal. It's not knowledge, it's intimacy. So what do you think about the idea of Adam and Eve's relationship with sin compared to ours? And and how, again, if it's all about relationship, it's like God's relationship with His, with his creation has differed mm. throughout the history of this world in many different ways. I think that's really neat, John, how you put that, where they had relation with God first, visibly, like able to interact with him, seeing the just the creation he put around and the beauty and the splendor, and then drawn towards something that's foreign to them that then fractured that relationship, whereas we work backwards, where we're born into the fracture, and we don't Mm -hmm. see God, but we have hope in things that are unseen as opposed to the things that are seen, and yet that still draws us to... And I mean, the shame that they had, it's just the human nature response right there. Immediately, they're shameful and they hide. I mean, I think about like, you know, any sort of actions that I do that are, it then makes me want to go, man, I I need to withdraw as you brought it on the sermon. Like, I don't want to pray now because I'm afraid to approach the Father. And it's the same thing our kids do. Mm -hmm. Your kids screw up. They don't want to approach you because they know the wrath is coming. And, you know, we understand that we've now gone against our Creator and made Him, now not necessarily wrath, but we need to be accountable for that. And I I mean, I don't, I, I wonder how their thought process went, and it was almost like, wow, that was the biggest oops I ever made. You know, like it was yeah. you know, at that point, and now that's completely changed the course of human history. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know. If, I wonder if the gravity of that was even on them at that time. So, yeah, yeah, that's really good. I, um, That just made me think of uh, your part of the sermon where you talked about how the result of sin is death. Sin always leads to death. And a really good example that happened, I think it was just two weeks ago or so. I'm not sure if you guys heard about this, but there is a um, a rap artist named Travis Scott who him and another rap artist, Drake, were having a concert and there were like hundreds of thousands of people there. So many people. And it was way too many people for uh, how many people there were supposed to be in that venue. And Travis Scott, he was like hyping everyone up and told everyone to rush the stage and out of idolatry and selfishness hundreds of thousands of people are rushing the stage to try and get as close to him as possible and eight people were killed and trampled over and it was just like i i don't want to say that his intentions were directly demonic 
but there were there's like a lot of satanic demonic tendencies and things said that i mean anything unholy is demonic and it, you know anything yeah. that's not holy is is demonic but um that's just like an example of sin leads to death like physical yeah. <laughs> emotional spiritual death all of it yeah when i said in in my message i don't know if you guys remember this but for those who didn't listen i i said sin will um, destroy every significant relationship in your life if mm. it's left unchecked and I really thought long and hard before I said that because I'm like, I don't want to say something that's not true. But as I really wrestled with it, and again, that unchecked part matters, I really believe that. And I believe it yeah. It affects every relationship in, in certainly the most significant relationships in your life. There's tangible effects in this. But then there's even relationships that you'll never see that mm-hmm. are affected. Um, and so that's like a great example of the byproduct of somebody who's living in sin can destroy others who never even knew them. Right. That's certainly true. Um, but let's live there a little bit, guys. How have you seen sin affect relationships just in general? So I talked about there's different types, right? There's the most important one, which is our relationship with the Lord. And Nate, you touched on that, right? How, how, we, how we fellowship with the Lord, how we worship the Lord, how we seek Him. Sin creates shame and guilt and how we, um, how we interact with each other. Um, in the church and out of the church, how the world mm. has been affected, right? Our relationship with the world. So let's live there a little bit. What have you guys noticed? Just looking at it through the lens of, okay, sin is what's wrong in the world. Um, and and I guess I would ask you, do you agree with that, that sin is going to destroy every significant relationship in your life? Um, if not, kind of let's live there a little bit. What do you guys think about that statement? Yeah. So I'm thinking very sensitively as I talk about this, because I know um, the situation that I'm, you know, talking about, not on a personal level, yeah, but I, I know the weight sure. of of um, what I'm talking about here. With lust, mm-hmm. can lead to murder. Lust can lead to yeah, to physical course. death of one, you know mistake outside of marriage can lead to a baby's death mm-hmm. in, in a lot of cases. Right. And that right. that's just heartbreaking. That that is what comes to my that's head. A great example. Yeah. Yeah, I mean if I think we you just personally look inward and say times where you let sin kind of run rampant unchecked, um, and then saw the destruction that followed. Mm-hmm. I mean it, it, especially if you take an honest look at yourself in the mirror and, and reflect back. And if you're willing to humble yourself and try and learn from those things, yeah. you'll see sin just absolutely exploding in those times where um, it, probably pride was running strong yeah. inside of you. And I mean, I, I could go through numerous uh, s- personal stories of situations where I didn't, it was unchecked. I, I literally let it there and let it linger. And I just think of Paul where it says a little bit of yeast leavens the whole bread. Yes. I mean, it just flourished. And yeah. then it destroyed yeah. everything I had around me and it wasn't even me it was everything i was touching it was like mm-hmm. midas touch mm-hmm. style um which really then as i looked at that at, there are certain points in my life i look back and i go man that was me that was through letting mm-hmm. sin just flourish inside of me caused that and mm-hmm. taking ownership of that yeah. um so then you know as we address that then john how do we then take that to a uh, a level of i, I got to bring this in i got to check this and now and almost, am I able to even see all my sins, like the things that I'm doing? How do I acknowledge 
some of that stuff around me. Yeah, so I think first off, Nate, my answer would be we have to stop thinking that sin will stay hidden. Mm. It's just a deceit of the enemy. It's just not true. There's not going to be like sin that won't affect and destroy. That just doesn't exist. But we convince ourselves it does. We convince ourselves that sin certainly destroys when other people do it, but not me. I'm going to have this ability to like keep it okay and keep it tamed. And I think that's a great deceit of the enemy, right? And I think it it creates a wall of guilt and shame that many of us live in for the rest of our lives. So that's one. Is like when I say it will destroy everything, I mean I don't mean the ones that are exposed. It's like no, no, no. And and it's not even physical destruction. It's like it will destroy you. Mm. Living, trying to live in that is also going to destroy you. But with that being said, I think it's it's also like you have to understand the weight of it um, in order to really try to like significantly cut it from your life. I think you have to understand the weight of it. And part of that is if you don't think it's a big deal, you're not going to understand the weight of it. So there's not going right. to be that significant, you know, cutting off, you know, cutting off the hand type thing. Right. So and I think that's what Paul yeah. is arguing is like, no, 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 it's that significant. Mm. That's extreme. Well, why would he say that? Because it's that big of a deal. Like, yeah. and I think that's why kind of what I was mentioning is, for us to not see the significance of sin, um, is wrong, because the cross exposes the you know like the depth of it. Yeah. So it's, it's more of I would answer to say you have to see it for what it is first, and not deceive yourself into thinking that is anything other than that. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just going to affect me. Or you just have to battle those lies of the enemy, and then in that you have to guard yourself in a way of saying. I am going to intentionally create these patterns in my life that are going to pursue the Lord and build my relationship with him. Because I know that in the midst of sanctification, though I will still probably sin, I'm going to move towards the Lord so those desires of sin go away. Mm. So it's not a, okay, I, I have these desires. So I'll give an example, like pornography, which is a huge one in our time, especially for males. I don't think it's this, the start is I'm going to create a covenant eyes and an accountability group. By the way, all these things are great. Yeah. And then I won't do it anymore. It's like, no, no, you have a desire to do it. So those things, if the desire is left unchecked, you're just going to navigate through this. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So it's, okay, set up those boundaries, but you have to pursue the Lord fiercely. You have to guard yourself. And if it's, so, if it's, if it's an addiction, you have to actually cut those things from your life not just navigate through those, but you actually have to cut them for a time and grow in your love. And So I would even say, like, understand the pornography industry more, mm-hmm. right? Do the research and see the, the rape and incest and the fatherlessness that is ra- rapid in that world. A child, you know, like, understand the depth of it so that your, your, your eyes can change what they see. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I would say, again, in any, in any form of sin— as, as, as you understand the depth of that sin and the action, the consequences, I think it helps you to navigate and overcome that. But what we do is we shallow it and we make it, do you get what I'm saying? We make it yes. not a big deal. And then it, it begins to fester and destroy because we say, oh, it's not. And so I think that's the biggest thing the enemy does. It says it's not really going to destroy. Mm-hmm. It's not that big of a deal. And it's very secretive. And those lies, we just have to overcome. And by the way, what's beautiful about all these conversations is we overcome and we strive for while under grace. Mm, yeah. So that's where it's conviction, not guilt in all of these things. But certainly th- 
I had this guy come up to me, and I won't say his name, but certainly the consequences of sin could be lifelong, and you may have to live in that consequence. Even though you're under grace, the consequences are still very real, right? Mm-hmm. So so you come up to me, and you say, I have three different women, three different children from three different women, and now I know Jesus. How do I love these children the way that God called me to love? Well, hey, man, you're, you're going to operate in really muddy water because your sin is going to have a lifelong impact. You're going to have children that aren't going to know you because of your selfishness mm-hmm. of those actions, and that's mm-hmm. just the reality. Now, God is going to navigate you through that. Hopefully, he can bring re- redemption there, And but yeah, you're not going to be the father that you were supposed to be yeah. mm-hmm. because sin has lifelong consequences and generational consequences. And those aren't things that are going to ever be overcome, really, because sin has consequences. But our identity can certainly be redeemed, you know, reconciled. And we navigate, hopefully, in righteousness moving forward, right? So it's like to that guy, you have to say, okay, what is God calling you to do that is right and holy moving forward? Mm-hmm. Providing for them, protecting for them, being present for them, you know, maybe maybe reconciling your relationship with their mothers the best you can, and be a be a selfish, selfless servant to them. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But the whole mother father, in the you know, it's like no sin can mess up the ideal. Yeah, yeah. What do you guys think to your point. I can't think of one time that I've sinned and it hasn't hurt another person or hasn't affected another right. person. But that being said, every time I've sinned and and after I've pursued. Forgiveness from the Lord, sanctification, and reconciliation with the people around me that I've affected, it's been redeemed. Yes. That's the heart of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, while you were still a sinner, he died for you. His heart is to love you in the midst of that, Mm -hmm. Um, but certainly not to live there, Yeah, and and especially not to hide there. I think that is that is where the enemy wins. Yeah. I mean, I, I use the example of King David because I think many people. Yeah. I mean, I think one. that's. I mean, a man after God's own heart with that resume, you're like, it doesn't. How does that make sense? But I think it's because of the pattern of how he identified sin, right? He repented, mm-hmm. he turned to the Lord, but yet he navigated that, right? Like it wasn't like he. I mean, think about the sons. You know, you know the consequences mm. were severe, mm. generational consequences for David. But yet him as an individual chose to say, no, I need you, Lord. I need to step towards you. I need to pursue that. Lord, you are the one that's going to, to uh, take these things. And he acknowledged these are, these are horrific things. And, but, yeah, even think about the generational <laughs> impact yeah. of David's sin. That's a great example. I think. Another one, Moses. He was right? a murderer with a temper. Like, <laughs> but yeah, right. God used him so faithfully because yeah. of his reliance on the Lord and him pursuing a relationship with God, pursuing just God's own heart. Yeah, he yeah. he just wanted Jesus. He wanted yeah. God. He didn't want anything else. Right. And having That's a culture, so I would argue, let's go in the other way. Having a culture that it looks sinless is actually very terrifying. So a lot of churches have this idea that we need to create a culture of sinless-looking people. And then that means that God's going to bless it. And I'm like, ah, because all that means is you're just hidden people. Yeah. And I would argue that's, that's a foothold for the enemy. Mm. So how many, t- how many people have a story of being in a church and looking at a family and they look perfect? And then there's this deep, dark sin that is exposed. And then they blame that on God, not the, per- right? Like it's, mm. I actually think a healthy, like I always measure um, my relationships with people in that, like, 
if they want me to be this perfect pastor, I don't know if they understand the message that I'm trying to preach, <laughs> right? Because it's like, no, actually, a, a righteous person is one who's quick to actually identify their their need, mm. right? And so you should actually have testimonies of failures, not to praise those, but to remind us that we're all needing that grace. And so, yes, we should be able to acknowledge our sins daily before the Lord, not to brag, but to remind ourselves of our need for Him. But also, all all to say, we also should be filled with stories like you, Adam, where God has redeemed and restored and rescued us from many sins in our lives. That should be our story, too. Right. Or, yeah. man, I, I don't desire so many of these things I once desired. I still have these battles, but I have all these victories. I think that should be our story. It is. I think that's where our testimony comes strong, is that you know, yeah, kind of what Paul's like, our weakness is made strong in him. Yeah. When we acknowledge these sinful natures, um, you know, David, I'm just looking through some of the Psalms, you know, creating me a clean heart, oh God, and search me and know my heart. I mean, he's pleading for the Lord to want to know him. He is a man searching after God's heart, you know, asking for his pardons to be, uh, you know, um, or his guilt to be pardoned. And he says, it's great. Like, he knows that he's full of this. But in that testimony, I mean, I've seen so many times through personal witnessing, um, and family witnessing, people who have taken sinful natures and transformed them, given that victory over to the Lord, and then realized in that victory, um, I can share that now and bless other people through understanding that my walk, my struggles, and my victory was only through Jesus Christ and the cross, and now I will give that message and share that message with everybody to hope, give them hope, to help give them strength and build them up and then take them, hopefully, out of that as well, too. Um, and it's not what we're doing. It's, you know, the strength inside of us through God and His Spirit, and then our conviction um, and our pursuit of Jesus in our lives wholeheartedly. And when we do that, I think that is so encouraging to people that are struggling and don't see a way out and don't think that there's victory. And when you give that personal testimony how it can happen, and that's where that relationship, as we talk about, you know, sin relate. You know, if we're all sinners and we form relationships, we can then help strengthen each other and pull us. You know, you're almost that rescue story. You're, you're providing that arm in a time of need where that person's reaching out and they feel like there's nobody there to grab. Not saying you're taking the place of Jesus, but you are then filling in as, you know, the advocate for Jesus and saying, come on, let's go this way. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And and when you think about these people that we're talking, to, talking about too, like David and Moses, God didn't wait for them to become perfect. Mm to use them. He used them as they were. He used them as they were still sinners. Um, you mentioned 1 John 1, 9 on Sunday. says, but if we yep. confess our sins to God, he can always be, uh, he can always be trusted to yep. forgive us and take away our sins. Yep. Um, yeah. They were still pursuing a heart of righteousness, mm -hmm. but they weren't pursuing perfection. They were just pursuing the Lord. <laughs> you know, yeah. They just wanted to be closer with him. It wasn't like they needed to be perfect for the Lord to use them. Yeah, and we're kind of, I mean, it's a good way of saying is we're kind of stuck in the flesh right now, mm. right? Which means we're stuck in that battle. We just are. And for anybody who says they've reached a state of, like, sinlessness in this world, I think it's probably deceiving themselves, right? Uh, because our desires and our thoughts mm -hmm. <laughs> are also, you know, there's a, there's a depth to that we talked about a little bit. Um, but let's let's shift gears and end on this, guys. How do you? Because I mentioned, and it's very true. Our our culture doesn't talk about sin. Our world doesn't like to yeah. say sin yeah. is sin. They use a lot of things, white lies, or you know, they they tend to not even label it sin. So how do we love and pursue a world 
that desperately needs to know that sin is the problem, but is offended at the idea or the word sin. What, what's, what's our movement as a church towards the, the world that desperately needs to know that sin exists? Because if they understand that sin exists, then they will hopefully mm. have uh, awakening to their need for, for Jesus. Yeah. Um, but unless you see yourself as a sinner, then the cross of Jesus is going to really not make sense to them, right? The enemy is going to have them captive. So what do you guys think? How do we actively move towards that without pointing fingers and just separating them even more from mm-hmm. that relationship that they desperately need? You kind of, you get yeah, what I'm yeah, trying to say? Yeah. What are you guys' thoughts? I think it's, I think it's um, calling sin for what it is, explaining that we are just as sinful as everyone else, mm. And understanding that it is not our job to convict. It's the Lord's job. And as long as we're pointing people towards the Lord. But you can't expect non-believers to be pursuing righteousness, um, pursuing a heart for the Lord. So just understanding that in conversations with non-believers, I think, is really key, too. Like, you're not going to tell them, hey, you're sinning like this and you shouldn't because they don't care that right. they're sinning like that right you know I, it's, yeah. it, that relationship thing to me is the biggest piece of it there i mean our relationship with the lord our vertical relationship only allows us to have strength in our horizontal relationships just bringing yes. the cross and the yeah. play and so you know it, it's really a two different approach you have believer relationship and non-believer relationship whereas um you look at the non-believer i mean th- these are people walking in um, you know, with veiled eyes, with an, an, un, an inability to really assess their situation because it's still all about them. They are the God of their life, and they haven't taken any sort of like inventory of what that looks like and even acknowledge it. So as they go through and you work with them, or you're talking with them, uh, to me, your actions are going to be highlighted more than your words. So they're really going to be mindful of what they're seeing you do, and that's the weight that's going to really probably cause them to at some point if they get convicted through what you're seeing you do in your relationship that you build that with them for them to start asking well, why did you respond this way or why would you have done this for somebody you know this is the world tells me to do this but you turned around in kindness and and, and i think that starts to get them to open their eyes up to you're walking in a different way than they walk and they're going to hopefully start questioning that whereas with believers um, you know, that one-on-one conversation, if you don't have a good relationship with them, you have to be very, it's the judgmental thing a lot of people mm-hmm. jump to. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas it's we're trying to help to build each other. And we just have to be mindful of the gentleness and how we come across with that and, you know, showing them love. But um, ultimately through that non-believer, really just looking at them and seeing them as a child. I mean, th- it's just like a kid running around with a knife, not knowing any better that if he falls and lands on it, it's going to be detrimental to him. Mm-hmm. You see friends of yours that are non-believers running around with sin rampantly in their lives, not realizing it's leading to death. And if you have compassion on them, you don't look at the sin and then cast you know, the judgmental finger towards them. You look at them with compassion and say, man, I, I need to bring this guy alongside. How do I get my arms around them mm-hmm. to love on them? And mm-hmm. I think that becomes the struggle. How do I live that out? Yeah. Yeah, even this morning, this was funny. Um, we were, I was at a Bible study with uh, a couple other guys this morning grabbing breakfast, and we were leaving, and we were just kind of talking in the parking lot for a minute, and I was walking to my car with another buddy, and we were just holding our Bibles, and an older woman walked by 
And she was like, <laughs> she's like, no wonder you guys have those big smiles on your faces. You're Christians, aren't you? Because she like saw our Bibles and she she said like you can tell that you can tell there's a difference in you. Mm. So that was That's really cool. cool man. Yeah. yeah. What a testimony. Yeah, I would an- I would answer my own question by saying I think that Simon Wells quote where he talks about all of us have that void in us. I think though they may not know that sin is separating them from God, I think they know that void mm. that exists in them. And so for us to um, just navigate in that void with them, you know, maybe even to share at the time that we had that void as well, and how sin ultimately was the the thing that drew us away from the Lord, but the Lord was really the one that filled that void. Like just being in that void conversation with people, I think is how we address sin without saying it's sin. But hey, have you ever, have you ever had that like something inside of you that said that there has to be something more and... Like that type of conversation, I think people are going to understand and recognize. They just don't know what to do with it, right? So that's why I was like, maybe they're currently numbing it or they're just currently chasing after something else. But I think they know that's there, right? Mm -hmm. And and sometimes you can't just go up and say, you have a void in you. But to have that conversation (laughs) to say, have you ever like had something happen to you? You got that job and you were just like, is that it? You know, that type of saying, mm-hmm. I think, is going to live there and to present the gospel, present the hope you have in Christ and how he filled that void in your life. Um, because I think people know they're sinners. They just don't know what to do with it, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So they don't actually know their hope. Like if you're like, that person doesn't know they're a sinner, I, 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 they know that they're not good. You know, they're deepest, darkest. You know, if they, if they think about their resonate, that's the conscience that God's given us. They know that, you know, they're not actually good. Um in their actions, right? They know. And so, but they don't know what to do with it. So does that make sense? I think that void, that's why I love that quote, is I think that is at the root of why we sin. It's because we forget and we want to say that there's something in the world that's going to offer us that satisfaction. But I think that's why after we sin, we feel such guilt and shame is because we identify that it didn't. (laughs) Like, you know, and then we're deceived, right? It's like that same feeling of like, if it did satisfy, you wouldn't really have that conviction, but it doesn't, and so you do, right? And so that's where it's like sin is most appealing before the sin, not after, mm. right? Because it's the enticement of rather than the satisfaction of, I didn't even say that right, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Buyer's remorse. Whatever, yeah. yeah, satisfying nature of whatever. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I would, I would leave with that. Final thoughts, guys, before we wrap up? Great conversation. I just had one more question. I was thinking about how if you ask people who aren't pursuing a relationship with God if they think the majority of people are good then they would say yes so so why do you think they say that if if they know that deep down they're sinful and and sinning well because their standard of goodness is is Mm self-created that's why they can say that yeah so the standard for goodness is easy to be good if you're the one who sets the standard yep you just have to say, I'm not Hitler, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. how you do that. Um, but a fam- uh, uh, well, not famous, but a popular way to share the gospel is by coming to somebody and asking them questions about their actions. And then by answering those, have you ever lied? Have you ever still, they themselves can acknowledge they're not good, right? But sometimes you can say, I'm good if I'm comparing myself. But if I actually evaluate my actions, that's why I kind of wanted everyone to look in the mirror when it comes mm-hmm. to sin, because we're so easily able to point out flaws yeah. in others right yeah. but when you when you self-reflect i think that's when you 
start to have a hard time with your own standards. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Okay, guys. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. Really appreciate it. I think if anything, um, I hope that this will challenge you to move closer to the Lord and his relationship be dependent on him. And if you do have sins that are bondage, um, to share those, confess them before the Lord, bring some accountability. Um, and not just people that are going to say, you know, let me know when you sin, but people that have maybe seen the Lord give them victory because of this turning away and um, equip yourself with useful tools in order to do that well. Uh, and know that, you know, under grace, it doesn't mean we stay there, but we recognize that God wants to free us from those things. And so we actively move towards that imperfectly, but we do. And know that, you know, we're heading towards that relationship for eternity. That's our destiny. So why not get closer now, right? That's the, that's the goal with this. So, all right, guys, we love you. Thanks for listening and hope you have a great week.